Nice to be back with you on God's Holy Sabbath Day with God's people. I'd like to just start off the presentation today by asking a question. What makes us who we are? What makes us who we are? Aristotle basically said that you are what you do. It's your habits that make you what you are. What drives your habits? It's values. Values is what drives us. It's what we value. It's what we think is important. So I want to ask, if I think about the greatest generation, so what's the greatest generation? What age group would that be? I think they're probably all up in their maybe 70s right now. This was the World War II generation. 90s? Oh, boy. I guess maybe the 70s were the baby boomers. So, 90s. So, my grandpa was part of the greatest generation. Both my grandparents, our grandparents, if you're around 40 years old. Think about what did they value? Just imagine, what do you think the greatest generation valued? Someone give me some examples. What do you think was a value, a core value of someone from that generation? Family. What else? Nation or patriotism, sure. God, okay. What else? What, do you, what other things do you think that the greatest generation valued? 90 plus years old. Think about what they went through. Think the, the Great Depression. My grandpa used to tell me about how he had to drop out of high school to work at the West Side Market to help make money because half the family and extended uncles and Cousins and actually some neighbors were all living with his mom and dad in their house. So maybe work, hard work was a value. Freedom. Freedom, another value. All right, now, baby boomers. Imagine baby boomers, that whole generation. What did baby boomers value? What do you think? What are some examples? Rock and roll. <laughs> you picture, what's that big thing where everyone went to this big concert? What was it? Woodstock, Woodstock right? <laughs> what else? I mean, we have some baby boomers in this room. What, did ba- what do baby boomers value? Is it different? Why don't they value the same things that the greatest generation valued? It's a little bit different. When you think of a baby boomer, you think of different values, right? Social equality, okay. What else? Stick it to the man, right? A little bit of, uh, you know, pushing back. We want to do things differently. All right, that's a little bit of the baby boomers. Maybe a little bit of valuing the good life. A little bit better. Okay, now, think of the millennials, 30 years old, maybe. I mean, what's the millennial generation now? I think of younger people than me. I don't know how much younger, though. Maybe 20s, 30s, or the the 20s are some different generation. What do you call your generation, Reagan? Do you know? Generation X? (laughs) Okay, so millennials. What do you think millennials value? How about um, recycling? Recycling or taking care of the environment of value? Not offending somebody? Technology? Oh, yeah. We all value technology nowadays. Political correctness? Not offending somebody? It's interesting how different groups, different types of people have different values. Now we're thinking about the United States. How about in India? Even today, millennials, what do you think they value? You know, the divorce rate in India is probably less than 1%. Now, we can go look it up. I might be wrong, but that's one of my colleagues who's from India said. Today, What do you think the divorce rate in the United States is? 50%. 
So what is, why is that different in India versus here? Could India value family a little bit differently than we do? When you think of, right, you think of Japan. What do they value differently? Korea. I work with some people from Korea, and they put in a lot of hours. I couldn't believe. I had this one, uh, I went to Korea for work one time, and we were working all day long, and I was getting ready to go back to my hotel, and my colleague was continuing to work till 10 o'clock at night. I think in general I see Korean kind of focus on, on hard work as a core value. I looked up a study. It was from 2006, so it's actually quite dated. This was 10 years ago. It's probably changed. But I saw a study of, from the University of South Florida that did a questionnaire of what college students about 200 college students valued. Okay? So I want to just take a look at this. It didn't print out, so I've got to pull it up on my technology here. Just give me a second. I want to share these results with you because I thought it was interesting. At first glance, okay, no big deal, but then you start thinking about it a little bit, and you, you see maybe why there's such a difference in our culture today than it was with the greatest generation. Why have things changed and continue to change so much? So, let me just ask, what do you think was the number one value, ethical value, from these college students from 2009 at the University of South Florida? Just take a guess. What was that? Fairness. Nope, that's not it. Okay, this was interesting. Number one by a far, far number one. In other words, it was 58% had this in their top three values. Number two only hit 22%. So this was by consensus. Number one value or ethical value of college students in University of South Florida was honesty. That's what they valued. Just think about that for a second. Could that be linked to the fact that it's so hard to find honesty nowadays? I thought that was interesting. Number two kind of ties to what we said about maybe not wanting to offend people. Number two, value was respect. I wouldn't have guessed that. The college students today value honesty, number one, and respect, number two. Now, we're going to get a little bit more into respect in a second, where that comes from. Number three was integrity. 15th, uh, let me see, 20% had integrity in their top three values. Four, five, six. Number seven was hard work. Number seven, hard work, only... 14% of college students had hard work as a top value, according to them. Let's see, eight, nine. Number nine was kindness. So respect, number two. Kindness was number, what did I say, number 10? Nine? 10% said kindness was a value that was top on their list. 11, 12, 13. 12 was equity. 13, 14 was morality. 8%. Morality. Think about that. Think about our world. Think about our culture. Think about what we see out in the news today, what we see in schools. You know, I saw another study that said that they asked students, how likely are you or how easy is it for you to get drugs? Like 80% said it was easy to get drugs in high school. Michael, my oldest, is in fifth grade. Sixth grade, he goes to the junior high. The big thing we're talking about in junior high is some of our, our friends have some kids in junior high is all the swearing 
All of a sudden, he's getting introduced to all this swearing and foul, t- you know. That's a big deal. There's already drugs at junior high. Morality was 13th on the list. Compassion was 17th. Justice, 18th on the list. 5% of the students had justice as a value. Love was number 19. I remember a scripture would say in the end times that love would wax cold. Today, college students, if this is representative of college students, 200 students down in the University of South Florida, they had love as a number 19 on their list in terms of a value. Responsibility was after it, number 20. Courage, 21. Freedom, 23 on the list. Who needs freedom? Okay, what was the value of our founding fathers? How important was freedom to them? Probably number one on the list at that time. They signed their death warrants to fight for it. Values drive behavior. And behavior is what we are. That defines us. We are what we do. I just think this is so interesting and fascinating. You know, and I want to talk about another aspect of this. Because in our inner city, we know that a lot of children are growing up in single-parent homes. Not just in our inner I'm sorry, it's not, that's wrong. Not just in the inner city, everywhere. Suburbs, everywhere today in the United States. There's so many children that are growing up in broken homes. Many of them are looking for some sort of guidance and leadership, lack of good men and father figures in our culture today. They turn to gangs. I, read, I, I downloaded this article called The Code of the Street, Gang Membership and Adherence to the Code of the Street. It was written by author Christy Matsuda, Chris Meld, Terrence Taylor, Adrian Frang, Finn Egg Asbens. I'm sorry if I pronounced your names wrong if you ever get to see this. But I thought it was an interesting article. They talked about the code of the street. Kids that end up turning to gangs to get some sort of acceptance and guidance and, and values, believe it or not. The code of the street is values. So who's teaching our kids values? Well, if it's a gang, then it's other kids teaching values. And I just want to read this about the code of the street. Because this explains a lot as well. First of all, it says that with no trust in the law, feelings of isolation and mistrust... An adaptation to a feeling of alienation from mainstream society, middle-class notions of success and status and favor aren't achievable or aren't perceived as achievable, so they turn to an option of respect. Wait a second, didn't we hear that? Number two on the list of values for college students in South Florida? They turn to an option of respect realized through toughness. So instead of trying to seek success or goodness or virtue, I'm going to throw that word in there, they're looking at respect as their number one thing that they're trying to achieve, that number one value. They define respect as what they want to be. Respect realized through toughness, thus the code of the street. So let me read this again. They asked in a, in a survey if someone 
Do you strongly agree or disagree with this? With, when someone disrespects you, it is important that you use physical force or aggression to teach him or her not to disrespect you. If someone uses violence against you, it is important that you use violence against him or her to get even. If people will take advantage of you, you do not let them, and you let them know how tough you are. People do not respect a person who is afraid of, to fight, etc., etc. So they put these questions together without getting through the details of the survey. The kids that were part of gangs, all they tested people that are in gangs and kids that weren't. The kids in gangs all basically agreed much more with those statements than the kids that weren't in gangs. So what are the values of the kids associated with gangs? Self-respect and toughness. That's what they value. That's what they're being taught. Do our schools teach values? Where do kids learn values today? I don't remember ever taking a class in school called values. Do you? Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. What do kids learn in school? Well, reading, writing, arithmetic, you know, the three R's. Back in the greatest generation, do you think that kids learned values in school? Absolutely. In fact, I know that, that back in the early 1900s, they actually used the Bible for literature. Now, the Bible's not allowed in schools. We're teaching. Michael just came home with a class assignment today, or this week. He said, Dave, or Dad, I had to do a, a paper. I had to read an article on global warming, and I had to do a paper on it. I'm like, oh, interesting. What, what did you write, Michael? Oh, well, it said that, you know, that, that uh, the glaciers up, up in the North Pole are melting, and, and that's really going to kill all the polar bears, and all the native Alaskans, and, you know, okay, that could be true. If, if everything, if, if the glaciers are melting, but everything was negative, everything was bad. And I said, well, how do you know that the glaciers melting isn't going to be a good thing? What if more rain ends up falling in Africa, and there's no more deserts, and people that are starving can have more farmland? I don't know. I'm not here to talk about global warming or climate change, any of that stuff. But it's just interesting that no matter what is said about it, it's always negative. How do we know that? Anyway, just something to think about. But I thought that was interesting because that is something of a value that I know is being taught right now to my child. All right, so... Values. Turn with me over to Second Peter. I want to read a scripture here. Second Peter chapter one. What are our values? And I'm going to shift gears here. I'm going to shift gears from values to a different word. Because this word has always intrigued me, and that's really what I wanted to talk about. I want to understand there's a special set of values, a special category of values that we as Christians need to strive for. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According to his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. So everything that pertains to this life, everything we need in terms of life and godliness, every value is given to us by God through Jesus Christ, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Glory and virtue. So Jesus Christ has called us to glory 
We have a lot of sermons about that. We can talk about Romans chapter 8, how we're being called to be born into his family. We're going to be born into the very family of God during the millennium. We're going to rule and reign with him. We're going to, he's inherited all things. We talk about the glory that we're going to have when we're transformed. But we're not just called to glory. What does it say here? We're called to glory and virtue. Virtue. What is virtue? What are virtues? I have to admit, brethren, I believe the greatest generation was taught virtues. But I don't remember anyone explicitly teaching me virtues. I've never taken a class on virtues. What is a virtue? I think intuitively we kind of know what it is, but do you know the definition of a virtue? All right, well, let's take a look at that. What is a virtue? You know, Pope Gregory, back in 590, came up with the seven virtues, because that's all you need is just seven of them. How many old former Catholics are out there? Can you remember the seven virtues? No? <laughs> Can you remember the seven virtues? No, you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> How about the seven deadly sins? Because those are opposite, according to Pope Gregory. Can you remember the seven sins, the seven deadly sins? Okay, you can remember. If you're Catholic, you can remember the deadly sins. What are they, Mike? Gluttony. Okay, good job. You got two. Greed, sloth, wrath, etc. Okay, so they came up, Pope Gregory came up with these virtues, chastity, temperance, charity, diligence, patience, kindness, humility. There's theological virtues. Theological is 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to go there in a little bit. But faith, hope, and charity. Those are virtues. There's, I pulled up a list of a whole bunch of virtues on the Internet. Things like accountability, charity, respect, knowledge, integrity, etc. So virtues, you're starting to get a feel that virtues are good because we can value bad things. So virtues, like I said, are a subset of values. So I want to, let's go ahead and read the definition of virtue because there's more to it than just what we might think at first thought here. So, Webster's 1828 Dictionary. I like doing this because in 1828, values were very different. So the number one definition of a virtue back then in 1828 was strength. Wow. Virtue is strength. That substance or quality of a physical body by which they act and produce effects on other bodies. So, virtue produces something. It has an impact. Virtues have impact on something. They're felt by other things, other people. Virtues are felt by other people. Another definition of a virtue is moral goodness. Not just goodness, but moral goodness. And there's a difference. Moral goodness. The practice of moral duties. Virtue is the practice, not just the belief or the feeling, but the practice of moral duties and abstaining from a vice. Conformity of your life and your conversation to the moral law. Another definition of virtue is moral excellence. Moral excellence. What is excellence? I had a conversation with Jason this week about average. You know, when you go out in the world, do you know that 50% or half of everybody you meet is below average? Half of everyone you meet is above average. 
by definition, right? Average is right in the middle. Are you average? I hope not. Do you want to be average? Virtue is moral excellency. Excellence. Another definition. Excellence or that which constitutes value and merit. Another definition of virtue is efficacy, power. In the modern dictionary, virtue had three key definitions. Moral excellence, an admirable quality as if a virtue of a product, and effective power. You know, in James, we're told, let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect. God does not want us to be average, brethren. He wants us to be perfect, excellent. All right, so virtues. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. I want to take a little bit of time and talk about where I see, you know, we have Pope Gregory's virtues. We have what philosophers, Aristotle, those guys thought were virtues. But I believe that if you want to find out godly virtues, Christian virtues, you can go to Romans chapter 12. This is basically the true book of virtues right here. In my view, Romans chapter 12. So let's just go ahead and break in and start going through some of this. Romans chapter 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. Brethren, this, I don't want to read right over that. A living sacrifice. Why is it? Didn't Jesus say that we're bought and paid for with a price? With what price? He died for us. We owe him our lives. We owe him everything. If you think about it, when we pray, when, we're, when we say give thanks, think about this. You didn't give yourself your own life. You didn't make this body. This is a gift. Every day when we wake up, we should say, thank you, God, for another day of life because it's not guaranteed. Every breath we take, I am so grateful to God that I don't have to consciously think about breathing. I'd be dead. I'd forget. Just that alone. Thank you for making it so that I don't have to think about breathing. It happens. Brethren, we owe everything to God. Paul says to prevent, present ourselves a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. If you think about everything that God gave us, it truly is our reasonable service. And be not average. Okay, if you're reading along, you know it doesn't say that, but that's kind of an angle that I like to get from this. Be not conformed to the world. The world is average. We are not to be conformed to the world. What's the opposite of that? We're to stand apart. Special, separate, different. Now, different's not easy because there's a natural feeling in, from when we're little kids that we want to fit in. Well, that's a virtue, brethren. To stand out is a virtue. To be different. To stand out for what's right. Be not conformed to this world. It's called excellence. Moral excellence. If everybody, if most of the people in the world are average, then those that are excellent stand apart, don't they? We should be striving for excellence in everything that we do as Christians. Not because we're trying to, you know, have this great self-esteem, but because it's our reasonable service to God. Don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect 
will of God. What does that mean, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? I always read this as saying that I would prove to myself what the will of God is. I don't read it that way anymore. I think, brethren, when we stand out, when we do not conform to the world, but we stand out as lights, as Jesus told us to, we stand up for what's right with moral excellence, then what we are doing is we're proving to the rest of the world around us that sees us the perfect and acceptable will of God. Turn with me over to Matthew. Let's look at that. Matthew chapter four, 5. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, 43. Jesus tells us, You have heard that it's been said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, stand out, have moral excellence, excel morally. Don't just do what everybody else does. I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. In other words, he loves everyone, regardless of whether they're good or evil. That's another virtue, by the way. You're going to see it in a little bit. To love everyone without favor, without playing favorites. And sends rain on the just and unjust. For if you love them which love you, What reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? In other words, doesn't everybody do that? Jesus is saying, you can't be like everybody if you're going to follow me. You have to excel. How have we been living our lives? Have we been excelling? I had a colleague one time. I was working with him. His boss told him he had to work with me. I was going to come and help him with his strategy. And I'll never forget this. Every once in a while we have these meetings with people or these interactions with people that stick and they have an impact on you. Well, this had an impact on me. I just got a new job and my first project and I'm going to meet with this guy. His name was Bob. Great guy. He's a good friend of mine right now. And uh, we become good friends. But we had a meeting. His boss told him that he was going to work with me. And then we sat down and nobody else was around. He looked at me across the table and says, Dave, I'm going to tell you right now. I got to do this project with you, but I got to feel you. I got to feel you. If I don't feel you, then I'm going to write you off. Okay. Candor, I believe, is another virtue. That was one of the best things that anyone ever said to me in my career. Because if I'm there just to have him work with me so that he can help me achieve my goals, well, he'll see that. That's, that's happened to him before. Oh, yeah, i got to work with you just to help you out so you can get promoted. No. I was there to help him. And he said, if he's not feeling that support, if he doesn't feel an impact from what I'm doing, then he's going to write me off. That made me work and have a different mindset. I wasn't there for, for, you know, we weren't doing this for him to help me. I was there to figure out a way to help him accomplish his goals. He became the biggest champion of my work. He told everybody in the company after that to work with me. That helped me get a promotion to my next job. Best life lesson at that point in time. People have to feel us as Christians. Do people around us feel the impact of God in our lives? Think about that. Are you a virtuous person? 
Remember, virtue has power and efficacy. It's not just for us to just be these great people and think on great things and feel good about ourselves all the time. It has to project itself and have an impact in the people around us. If they're not feeling us, then we're not virtuous. Let's keep going here in Matthew. Let's go back to, um, actually, let's go back a little bit in Matthew chapter 5 here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, and six, 14 through 16. Actually, verse 13. Brethren, you, we Christians, a true Christian is the salt of the earth. Now think about salt. Salt was actually used as money back then. It was extremely valuable. Salt had efficacy. It had impact on people's lives. Salt was used for wounds. Salt was, it's not just a, I used to think it was flavoring. Oh, salt made food taste good. No. Salt was medicine. Salt was a disinfectant. Salt helps food not spoil. It was essential for life. He says, we are essential for life, brethren. We're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, or in other words, if it's lost its efficacy, wherewith shall it be salted? It's henceforth henceforth good for nothing. If we're not having an impact in people's lives through our virtuous moral excellency, then what's the point? It's cast out and trotted underfoot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Going back to that virtue in us proves to those around us who God is and what he is. They should see God in us. And that would impact them. Let's go back to Romans chapter 12 now. And I don't think I'm going to be able to read through all of it in detail. I'm going to hit some of the high points, brethren. But I'm, I really think it's as we meditate, when, especially as you know, now we're in January 2019, before we know it, the spring holy days are going to be upon us. It's going to be time for us to start reflecting on our lives. What type of Christians are we? What type of people are we? Do we have virtue? Do we have godly Christian virtue? Are we developing it? We're told to analyze ourselves. So Romans chapter 12 here to me, there's so much, so much that if we just think about these as virtues and read them and study them and it'll help us to understand the type of people that we need to be. Verse 3 in Romans chapter 12. I say through grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So another virtue, humbleness, humility, but to think soberly. Actually, this word soberly, okay, soberly, temperant, temperance, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. In other words, brethren, that to realize that it's not us that, that, that makes us who we are, that gives us blessings, it's God that gives it to us, to stay humble and sober. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one member one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace, According to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophecy according to the pro- uh, 
sorry, my contacts, I have these multifocal contacts, and if they don't sit properly in my eyes, I can't see anything. Just give me a second so I can actually read my Bible again. See, that's humbling. <laughs> our ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teaches on teaching, or he that exhorts on exhorting, he that gives, let him do it with simplicity. Simplicity, what's, what's that mean? Actually, that word, brethren, is haplotus. It means sincerity. Is sincerity a virtue? Absolutely. I'll tell you, brethren, not much stresses me out. You know, there's good stress, like energizing stress, but the one thing that truly stresses me out is insincerity. When I don't know what you really think. The people that I deal with, where they're saying all this great stuff, they're your buddies to your face, but there's just something there. You, don't, you just think behind your back they're talking about you. That stresses me out the most. Brethren, we can't be like that. We have to be honest and sincere. He that rules with diligence rules what? I think this is rules ourselves. Self-discipline. Diligence is another virtue. Mercy with cheerfulness. Is happiness a virtue, brethren? Or is happiness an effect of good virtues? Let me ask you this. If you're unhappy, what happens to the people around you? If you're happy, just by smiling, can you make other people smile? Come on. <laughs> Jesus Christ says that we should be joyful. Cheerfulness and joyfulness is a virtue, brethren. We should strive to be happy and cheerful every day. Because when you're happy and you smile you might just bring a little ray of light to somebody and maybe help their day out a little bit. I mentioned this before. A guy I like to listen to every once in a while, Dennis Prager, wrote a book. And in it he says, happiness is a moral obligation. That we owe it to each other to be happy, to be cheerful, even when we're not. You know how we can prove it? And I can prove it. You're in a bad mood. The doorbell rings and there's someone, you open up the door, and all of a sudden a big smile comes on your face. Oh, hi, how you doing? Good to see you. Door closes. <clears throat> so mad about this thing. If when the door opens, you can be happy to that person, you can just be happy all the time. And if you're not happy and you're around people, pretend. Pretend to be happy. It's an obligation. Put a smile on your face. Cheerfulness is a virtue, brethren. Now I want to get into this. I'm not going to be able to finish the whole thing. I'll ask you to continue to read through Romans chapter 12, but I want to finish here with, in Romans 12 with verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Love is a virtue, brethren. And... Love without dissimulation. What does that mean? Not playing favorites. Loving everybody. Loving without, with impartiality. That's not easy to do. But didn't Jesus tell us to pray for our enemies? That it's easy to love people that are easy to love, but if we want to have excellence, if we want to be different, that we have to love the people that are very difficult to love. If there's one thing that you want to do to be virtuous, proactively in your mind, set a goal to love the people that are the most difficult to love in your life. Think about right now, don't say any names, every one of us has someone, think of one or two people that are the difficult to love. I bet we have somebody. Set a goal between now and Passover to love them. 
Why? Because, brethren, Jesus loves us. And I bet, not always, hopefully, but a lot of times we, personally, are probably not that easy to love. Sin separates us from God, doesn't it? How many of us are not, are, have no sin in our lives? We're to stand apart, brethren. We are not to conform to the world. We're to be separate. If I think about virtue, moral excellence, the foundation, brethren, has to be love. It has to be love. Ecclesiastes 12:13 says, "Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. His commandments are the basis of moral excellence. Moral excellence. Morality comes from right and wrong. It's the definition, it's the commandments. John chapter 15, verse 8 through 10, "Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit." Bear fruit, have an impact on people's lives. Let them see and feel the virtue that comes out of you, that's Jesus Christ inside of you. So shall you be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Virtue starts, brethren, with the commandments which are the foundation of love. Loving God and loving each other. It's the greatest commandment, Matthew. To love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your body. And to love others as you love yourself. To love without preference. Love everybody the same. That's what we should be aspiring to. If you do that, brethren, you will have virtue in your life. Let's turn over now to 1 Corinthians 13 and we'll finish there. 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, which is selfless giving love, selfless giving, Love, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. It means nothing. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, you know, when we go to college, brother, and we learn a lot of knowledge, we have PhDs and all these letters behind our names. Knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. Do you think people value knowledge? Well, Paul is saying, I could have all that knowledge. Can you have knowledge without virtue? Yeah. Yes. I can understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, selfless love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and I give my body to be burned and have not love, selfless, giving love, it profits me nothing. Charity is patient, a virtue. It's kind, another virtue. It doesn't envy. It's not proud or vaunts itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave unseemly. It's not selfish doesn't seek its own. It's not easily provoked. It's tough. has a tough skin. If you continue to read in Romans chapter 12, you're going to see that that's another one of those things Paul talked about. Toughness is a virtue. Mental toughness. Brethren, if we're walking around and we're offended left and right by every little thing, we have to take a look at that. Because that's not love. It's not easily provoked. It's not easily offended. 
It gives people the benefit of the doubt. It thinks the good things about people. It doesn't automatically think evil. It rejoices not in iniquity or lawlessness. In other words, it rejoices in lawlessness. It rejoices in truth. It bears all things. I think of the, of the virtue of patience and endurance. It believes all things, the virtue of faith. It hopes all things, endures all things. Charity never fails. Prophecies fail. Where there's tongues or speaking, it'll cease. Knowledge shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, when Jesus returns, then that which is the, in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face now I know in part. But then I shall know even as I also am known. When Jesus comes, we're going to see ourselves who we really have been. Hopefully, there's some virtue there. And now abides faith, hope, and charity, these three. But the greatest of these, the Apostle Paul says, is charity, selfless love. Brethren, as we start thinking about coming up on these spring holy days, I think it would be valuable if we studied Romans chapter 12. Get out a dictionary and look at the, the different words. Think of them as specific virtues and ask, is that seen in my life? Do other people see these attributes? Is it effectual? Are they feeling it? Not just seeing it, but is it impacting them? If not, what can you do to start being more virtuous? Every day if we wake up, you know, I was, I'm reading this book again, um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one thing is very interesting. It says, live in 24-hour increments. The past is done. Yesterday is over. Don't stress about it. Okay, you can plan for the future, but today is life. Today is life. What we decide to do right now, today, will define who we are. So when you wake up in the morning... If you want to read a scripture before you start your day, read Romans chapter 12. Pick a virtue and say, I'm going to try to show that today. I'm going to have an impact today in this 24-hour period. And then tomorrow, wake up and do the same thing. Live that day. Live each day, one day at a time, to the best of our ability with moral excellence Brethren, if we practice these virtues, we study these virtues, then we will be proving that good and acceptable and perfect will of God.